Lord, what uh, lovely passages there in the garden when our first parents sinned against you, rebelled against you, and gave their desires over something other than you and hid, uh, you still pursued. You came among them and sought them out. Where are you? And there, in the heavenly picture that we have in the book of Revelation, you're there, perfectly dwelling with your people. And all of our desires are then finally fully met with you. God, I pray that even now, that we would see you as the absolute object of all of our greatest longings all of our greatest desires, to be with you, God. Emmanuel, God with us. Uh, speak to us even now, we pray. Amen. If you turn to the front of your bulletin, you'll see you know, uh, there are these meditation quotes. Um, there's lots of great quotes around Christmas time. There's a a po poet who's still living over in England. Uh, some of you might be familiar with him. I believe actually he's speaking in Lancaster in, in February. His name is Malcolm Geet. Um, I've mentioned him a few times, but I want to wanna uh, read this poem to you. He actually wrote a poem for each of the stanzas of the, gro the, the great O Antiphons, and this is the final one, O Emmanuel. O come, O come, and be our God with us. O long sought witness for a world without. O secret seed, O hidden spring of light. Come to us, wisdom. Come, unspoken name. Come, root and key and king and holy flame. O quickened little wick, so tightly curled, be folded with us into time and place. Unfold for us the mystery of grace and make a womb of all this wounded world. O heart of heaven beating in the earth, O tiny hope within our hopelessness, come to be born, to bear us to our birth, to touch a dying world with new-made hands, and make these rags of time our swaddling bands. We've uh, finally come to O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, which is in the, po the historic poem is the final stanza of these great O Antiphons. O come, O come, Emmanuel. Of course, we know it as the first one. Um, but as I've suggested to you through this short series, actually this poem is leading us with the story of Israel through the Old Testament in this long-sitting longing with Israel for God to come and to be among us as the Messiah, the Emmanuel. Um, what I've been trying to present to you is that this great a poem from long ago is, is a really good way of sitting in the longing for Jesus, but it's also actually a very good way of understanding what is it that we get in the gift of Christ? What do we celebrate at Christmas? Each stanza highlights for us an image uh, that the Bible paints of who the Messiah would be. Wisdom. Um, the next one is Adonai, often the, the idea of Lord of might. The wisdom creates and recreates. The Lord of might saves, right? The story of Moses bringing, his people, uh, bringing the people out from 
Egypt and slavery and bringing them to God at Mount Sinai. He saves and he instructs his people how to live as free people. We consider the son of David, who's the perfect ruler, who will rule forever. And his kingdom will have no end. Uh, we considered the day spring. Uh, the word is Oriens on Christmas Eve that brings light to darkness. This light that shines in darkness that orients us to our hope and our redemption in the midst of a disoriented world. Last Christmas, or last Sunday on Christmas, we considered the desire of the nations, or actually it's the, the Rex Gentium, the king of the nations. Um, he's not just going to bring shalom and his justice to a small sliver of the world, but he's coming for all of it. For you, young and old and rich and poor, and heaven and earth, actually, what we see in the narratives there of, the, of Christ's birth. He's coming for all of it. This is what we get in Jesus. This is the gift of Christ for the world, the great Christmas gift. And it's also our heart's desire. This is what we long for. Okay, it's impossible on a New Year's Day Sunday to not talk about desires, which is what we also call our New Year's resolutions, right? What are we desiring? What are we hoping for in this coming year? Or maybe you could say it like this, because this is some of what we've actually heard in these words. Um, what's the new birth? What's the new you going to be? How are you going to be in this world this year? What are your hopes and desires? Maybe for a little more salad on your plates and a little less carbs. Um, maybe a little more time outside. Um, maybe just ordering some of the affairs of your life so things just feel like they're a little bit more in place. Maybe uh, some things just need tending to. Um, some people have a certain goal of how many books they want to read. Um, every year I look up what, what are the most common resolutions for this year, and they're pretty much always the same. 52% of Americans say that, that one of their resolutions is to exercise more when asked what are their top resolutions. 50% say to eat healthier. 40% say to lose weight. Those are all related to health. And the list continues with the usual ones. Save money. Spend less. Spend more time with family and friends. Less time on social media. Reduce stress at work. Most of the other ones feel like you can maybe, like, they're in your control. Reduce stress at work may have nothing to do with what you have control over. But um, These all sound very familiar, right? And what they're doing is they're saying, okay, I want to be in the world in a new kind of way. I want to engage in the world. I want to be a new me. Now, here's the thing. Um, we all know that largely who we are around will dictate our future. So the success of the more salad on the plate is going to have to do with who else are you eating with? How often are you going to Burger Yum? That will help determine that. Where are you? Where are you seated and who are you with? Um, the other thing that we all know is that who we are with and who we are around and what place we inhabit influences our desires. What we actually even long for is influenced by the people often that we are around. The resolutions that we decide are decided in community often, even though they're unspoken. Who we are around largely dictates our desires and how we act upon them. Um, some of you may be familiar with Miles Law. Um, Miles Law states this. Where you stand 
depends on where you sit. Uh, that was coined, actually just in the middle of the last century, on the idea that one's um, position in a bureaucracy is largely decided based on one's position on certain issues. So if you fit in a certain issue, you might be able to sort of move up the ladder in a certain way. You're going to stand in a certain place based on where you sit. Um, but I think this tends to be true in life generally. Okay. Um, what you hope for, this is what I'm suggesting to you, what you hope for, what you desire and how you act upon those desires largely has to do with who you're around. Uh, who are you hanging out with? Where are you sitting? What place are you inhabiting? That's going to have to do with how you act in the world, where you stand in the world. Um, let me illustrate like this. I really, really wanted to play the drums in seventh and ninth grade. I didn't go to eighth grade. I just didn't. I skipped it. I didn't not go to class. Um, but the summer between those two years, I went and saw MXPX at Life Center in Tacoma, Washington. Some of you are familiar with MXPX, the great punk band from Bremerton. They were one of the first on Tooth and Nail Records. I don't. None of you are following with me. Okay. It's all right. Um, I went and saw MXPX, and it was, this was the summer of 1995, 13 years old, and Yuri Ruli, the their drummer, I'm right up, right up on this tiny, tiny stage. It was a small group. He threw right at me, I promise, it was right at me, one of his drumsticks, and I caught it, and I was like, I am destined to be a drummer now. And I spoke with Yuri after the concert, and I was like, this is my, this is my life's goal is to be a punk drummer. It's going to be awesome. Um, so I went home, and I talked to my parents about it quite a few times, and um, they had, at the time, six children with a seventh on the way, and they built their house when there were only three kids. And so my parents rather understandably said, you are not going to be a drummer. At least not until we get a garage, and which happened the year after I graduated high school. I, that just coincidentally, I don't know. Um, so I started playing guitar, and my freshman year at Western Washington University, I went up to a concert in Vancouver, BC, where I saw David Gray. Some of you know David Gray, the Irish uh, singer-songwriter. I was right on the front row, and after the concert, David Gray gave me one of his guitar picks, and his set list. Okay, a month later, I'm involved in this large Christian ministry at Western Washington University, and they have an open mic. And I, of course, did a song by David Gray, right? Because who I was around and the proximity moved in my heart, my desires for what I was going to be in the world, how I was going to act in the world. Where you stand largely depends on where you sit. What you desire and how you act on those desires largely has to do with who you're around. So here's the story of the Bible, right? God made the world good. He delighted in it. He placed humankind within it to tend it. He said that was very good. To care for it, to extend the beauty of the garden out into the world, to be his image bearers. Little statues that said, this is my kingdom all over the world. He provided for them out of amazing abundance. And he walked with them, and they with him. He, God himself, was with them. 
and they were with him. Proximity to God. And then we learn that someone else kind of moved into the neighborhood. We don't know how. One of the great mysteries of, of faith in the Bible. Somebody else moves into the neighborhood. And they gave their ear and their attention to someone else other than God, to another's voice. And actually what we hear specifically, maybe you heard Melise read this, that they specifically mention the word desire. In the presence of another, somehow their desires began to change, to go against how God said, this is how you are to be in the world. And what they did is they acted on those desires. Now, thankfully, even there, there, right, in Genesis chapter 3, we see God pursuing them. Where are you? Come out from your hiding. Come to be with me. But it was because they acted on this desire that they were moved outside of the garden, outside of what you could say is the neighborhood of God. As they did this, and as their descendants sort of moved out beyond this, the world, as we see in these beginning chapters of the Bible in Genesis, it became, becomes a more violent place. It becomes a place with greater pride, greater deceit, and greater distance from God and his neighborhood. The stories there in the beginning of Genesis are essentially a, a stories of moving away from God, and as they move away from God, the situation becomes worse and worse. And it's into that story that then we hear that God calls Abraham out from his place of residing and says, here, I'm going to bring you somewhere else. Follow me. But we have in the Exodus story, the, the story of the Lord of might, right, who brings his people out from Exodus to himself on Sinai's height. Is God saying in Exodus chapter 3, verse 8, I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up to myself. And then actually in that very same chapter, verse 12, we hear God say, I will be with you. Come and be with me. What we see when he brings them out is that he brings them out with the cloud of, uh, by day and the pillar by night. And what we see when he brings them to Mount Sinai is God meets with them right there. And what happens? Well, they say, okay, here's, build, build a tabernacle, build a tent. And if you look at, if you consider the inside of the tent and all the instruments and the, everything that's built inside of there, it's echoing the original neighborhood of God, Eden, a picture there. And God descends there upon the, uh, the tabernacle and all of the tribes, if you look actually at the detail, all of the tribes as they're organized, they're organized around God's house right in the middle of the neighborhood. Of course, what we find in the kingly stories of David and Solomon is that David was a man after God's own heart, that he spent his time with God. That's why we see in the Psalms again and again, in every situation, the ups and the downs and the twists and the turns, God and David in communion with one another, conversing together. Of course, what we see in Solomon's building and dedicating of the temple is that God descends again there on the te in the temple with the same images of his original neighborhood. What it seems as though it's saying is that where, where you stand largely depends on, what, where, uh, on where you sit. But where are you and who's around you and how are you going to be in the world? What are you going to desire and how are you going to act on those desires? And that largely has to do with who you're with. God knows how twisted up our desires are. What we see in the Bible, though, is that again and again and again, God comes for us. He comes for us again and again. 
What we hear in John chapter 1 is that God came to his own, and they didn't receive him. Well, that's the same story we've heard again and again and again throughout the Bible. God coming and moving into the neighborhood. And people saying, we don't want to be around you. Move away, God. The desires have become so twisted that what they wanted was more power, autonomy from God, their own way of being in the world. And so again and again, God is rejected. This happens again and again throughout the Old Testament. Again and again, we see God coming and God moving into the neighborhood. His grace is seen again and again in his pursuit of the world. Though again and again, that world is in rebellion against him, pushing him out, pushing him away. We see this again and again in the Old Testament, but we, we don't see it nearly as clearly as we see it in Jesus himself. I mean, God comes again and again in the Old Testament, but we don't see it nearly like we see it in Christ himself, we see God coming. Um, in fact, the, the word that John uses in John chapter 14, again, that we heard in our gospel reading, says this. It says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. You might notice that that dwelt is actually, uh, he pitched his tent. A lot of people say, he tabernacled among us. He came and he moved. This is what Eugene Peterson says in the, in the message. He moved into the neighborhood. God coming for us. God coming right in the midst of us. God coming close. And who you're with shapes your desires and how you act on those. Of course, the vision that we have for when God would fully and finally dwell perfectly with his people is one where, where, where all of our desires are finally fully met. Let me read for you again from Revelation. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. What we're celebrating this time is this idea of incarnation, this truth of incarnation. God enfleshed. God really with us as one of us. God coming for us. God as Emmanuel. So what will this uh, reality look like for you this year? I mean, it's a good thing for you to sit in your hopes, right? And maybe to make some resolutions and to say, what kind of new me is going to be? This year. But the question I think that all of this sort of invites us to ask is who will you be with this year? God comes and he moves into the neighborhood. And what we see in scripture is again and again people saying, I don't know if I want you that close. I shared uh, in a sermon in Leviticus. Uh, quite a few years ago, that when we moved to Green Street, 1624 Green Street, that's our address. One of the things that we found immediately is that our neighbors, particularly our neighbors, some of you know they are sort of there to the north of us, just immediately to the north. They get out and they keep their sidewalk perfectly clean when it snows. And 
you know, many of you have had good neighbors and bad neighbors. We've had both for sure. But you know that if one neighbor's really keeping their lawn, like, just perfectly done, or their sidewalk perfectly cleared from snow, you walk out and you're like, I guess I better clean up my snow. I guess I should probably mow my lawn. Who you get close to just influences your life. God is God with us. And as you draw near to him, he's going to change you and he's going to shape you. He's going to actually conform you to himself. That's why we, in Leviticus we say, God, God tells us again and again, be holy as I'm holy because he's right there with them and you can't help but have him rub off on you. So who do you want to be this year? Who do you want to become? Who are you going to spend your time with? Will you be with the Lord this year? In his word, with his body, the church, at his table, God comes and comes and comes again and again in the scriptures by his grace and his kindness. But the question for us again and again and again is, will you receive him? Will you be with him? I'm just going to end with that question. Will you be with him? Lord, God with us, Emmanuel. Lord Jesus, we think even of the birth narratives where some, when God came among us as Emmanuel, journeyed far to be present with him, the wise men from the east. Some came from closer by, the shepherds out in their fields, keeping watch over their flocks. Some wanted to kill Jesus from the very beginning, Herod. Not another king coming close, not someone who tells us to be in the world in a certain way. And again and again, as we read the Gospels, those two things are before us. People flonging to he- uh, flocking to you, longing to hear your, your teaching, longing to be touched by you and healed and made new by you. And others shouting, crucify him and plotting your death. And all throughout history, this has been the great question. Will you come to him? Will you be with him? God, I pray for us here in this room right now, those watching online or listening, that of all of the resolutions that we have this new year, hopes for a new being in the world, a new presence, a new us, we will find our greatest desire is to be with you. And as we are with you, you will shape us into who we are made to be. People who dwell and walk with God. People who have been reconciled by the blood of Jesus and who were once far off but have been brought near. People who were once slaves but now are children. Cry out, Abba, Daddy, Father. God, this year, 
May we be with you. And know the joy and delight of your presence. In Jesus' name, our great amen.